and he was so legitimately excited to be a Blue Jay, and then he didn't play. So if he'd gotten traded without playing again... Yeah, the first round pick. Yeah, and you know, and I'm getting kind of overlooked at the press conference. You know, so, I still I have a disadvantage of this because I listen to the games on mute, okay? <laughs> or the other broadcast. There's how is that a disadvantage? <laughs> Welcome to the inaugural episode of Artificial Turf Wars, the only Toronto podcast eligible for the Rookie of the Year Award. I'm your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined as usual. Is it possibly as as usual, Josh, <laughs> for the first time? I don't know. I mean, we're, we're joined as usual, just not as usual for this podcast. Uh, I am planning on it being a usual thing. So how are you doing tonight, Mr. Howsom? Uh, good. Down into Neaton, so... Baseball, woo! Life is better in Florida in March. That's what I would have to say. <laughs> um, so tonight we are going to cover the weekend. So a little, little less news, but we're going to talk about a few things because there were actually games played and news to be had. Uh, Marcus Stroman pitched today, looked good. Jose Bautista is going to be in a game on Thursday. Marco Estrada, his little back issue seems to be clearing up. Um, Aaron Loop had an MRI. We talked about that earlier um on uh on a previous podcast how is that possible either it's gonna be some strange language going around uh michael saunders knows how to hit dingers tulo has a leg kick <clears throat> and then david ardsma pitched we have an interview with david ardsma recorded just just the day i believe prior to him pitching um and then we're gonna have a do-over for anthony ghost and we're looking forward to playing swing and a drive with a mystery third person I sounds think that, about right. that sounds like a full podcast, doesn't it? It really does. Let's start with Marcus Stroman, who looked good. Has he ever not looked good when he's on the mound? <laughs> That's kind of the thing, right? Whenever he pitches, he's good, but he just, you know, needs to be pitching. Yeah, he had that, that unfortunate hiatus, but he, uh, he got a lot of ground balls. He got a lot of strikeouts. Um, he gave up a dinger to Colby Rasmus. Which... Home runs to Colby are allowed. <laughs> it's it's a special non-Blue Jay exception for home runs. You can you're okay if you're Colby Rasmus and nobody else. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think that's fair. That seems logical to me since he was such a in, in, integral part of the home run experience in Toronto for a couple of years. Well, and what's interesting about the home run is the type of pitcher that it came on. Yes, because Stroman. Stroman is trying to do something new. Of course he is. <laughs> because he doesn't have enough pitches. What's he doing? Yeah, he's decided to throw in this quick pitch thing where it's when he's in the full, he'll go to a quick slide step in the middle of the, the windup. Johnny Cueto does this. Esmeral Rogers used to do this when he was with the when he was with the Jays. And he would always throw a fastball when he did it. So it didn't <laughs> fool anybody. Uh apparently Stroman uh threw a change up and quick pitched. So he threw a and slow. Colby hit it out. Yeah, a slow, quick pitch. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, now I'm curious. Everyone says he's added a new pitch in the all the online hoo ha and this and that today that they they put out every day to keep us busy. Is that technically a new pitch, or is it six new pitches because he could quick pitch any of his six pitches, or is it? Well, that's the thing. It's either a whole bunch <laughs> of new pitches, or it's not one. 
we'll let so oh, everything you've read today is wrong <laughs> so we'll let you uh we'll let you decide how you're going to call that as the lister i'm not going to make that decision for you um jose bautista has not played this spring because he has not been injured yeah would you, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you want to go into more of an explanation about why he's not playing this spring yeah well basically uh, the Blue Jays have this now, this big department of athletic performance, and they've said, you know what? It's probably better for some guys not to get going so early. It's why Russell Martin hasn't caught yet. It's why Tula Whiskey just started playing, and it's why Bautista is going to start playing this week. So we're looking at Thursday, I believe, was one of the days they gave us the possibility. Um, so that that there there is... There's a conditioning aspect to that, I guess, is what they're really saying, is you played all the way into the end of October. Maybe you don't need to jump right out there, like you haven't forgotten how to do all of the important baseball-ish things. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you, I'm sure if you ask any veteran player, they'll say spring training is two weeks too long anyway. So that's, yeah, nice for them. Um, I, I think this is an interesting uh, aspect of the new regime, if you would. Um, that you really, w- I don't think Toronto's ever looked at players that way before. Is it, is it revolutionary? I don't know, but it's certainly different. Well, yeah, I mean, they, they added this department. It didn't exist before. So it's pretty cool. I, I'm curious to know if we'll hear more about that department during the regular season um, or about something that they're doing differently with, you know, the, you know those nagging injuries that we hear about, if they're going to treat those differently yeah i'm just curious to see if it actually just keeps them healthier as opposed to you know how they react to injuries indeed so uh speaking of other little injuries uh marco estrada is throwing again yes that's official yep what's that yeah, that we do we have an official game for estrada i have not seen that no he, he hasn't been scheduled he just got onto the mound again for the first time since his sore back started acting out. So they haven't scheduled him for a start yet. Um, it's super important that Estrada is healthy. Huge. So I, I enjoy the, the cautious approach. But I think we all worry. Maybe a little bit. I but mean, I don't know if it's as huge as you're saying it is. Uh, it's definitely important. But at the same time... They have depth in the rotation. If he has to miss a week or two of the beginning of the season, they can cover it. True, true. I yeah, you're right. I just hope it's uh is as minor as it sounds. Not one of those injuries that uh, you know sticks around. Um, and backs are mysterious things, aren't they? Yeah, you know, back problems. <laughs> you definitely don't want them. But it sounds like it was just a slightly sore back, not like Adam Lind back, where it's like, <laughs> oh, I'm on the deal for two weeks. <laughs> Uh, Adam Lindback, an actual condition now in medical books. Um, I, yeah, if you look it up on like on the on all the websites, it says Adam Lindback, fifteen days. <laughs> Too much ground ballitis. Uh, <laughs> we also got an update on Aaron Loop, who went for the MRI that we talked about last time, and I, I wasn't trying to panic anybody, but there often the MRI leads to worse and worse news as you go down the path. We got the, we got the inflammation, no, no tear message, which is a positive sign. 
Yeah. It's funny. So he's like, I want to be ready for opening day. And Gibby's like, uh-uh. Same <laughs> so it's day. not happening. The exact same day. Hey, how you feeling? I'm good for opening day. No, he's not. <laughs> like, they didn't even give him 12 hours of sort of letting him do his own diagnosis and his own projection. Nope. No, I'm not really feeling opening day for you. Really? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's good news for Pat Venditti, right? Because, I mean, if they need another lefty, he's kind of one. <laughs> I'm sure the novelty of this will wear off. Um, never. It will never, <laughs> ever wear off. Um, I tell you, uh, the other thing we saw in a game that is uh, something we, we really have not seen is Michael Saunders in a game, looking fit, hitting bombs. Yeah, he had two. <laughs> off of two different pitchers. Yeah, one of them hit the foul pole. Like, oh, if it's fair, it's gone. Uh, yeah, I guess it's fair. <laughs> Classic buck. Um, the other thing was that the pitch that he hit off of the uh, the first pitcher just before the home run was also ripped and about 15 feet foul. So he was all over top of the the uh, the stuff that was being thrown the other day. Now that said, um, you know you're not looking at Johnny Cueto out there on the mound. You're looking at well, I think it was Aaron Nola who is 22 for the first one. Um, I mean, he's a good prospect, yeah, so it's not be, like, and he's supposed to be very refined. So it's not like that he hit it off one of the guys that you see at the end of a spring training game, which is like number 85? <laughs> <laughs> Who's that? Uh, Mr. Rookie, um, whoever he might be, wherever he may go. Um, of course, a healthy Michael Saunders is a great thing. Well, I mean, just the nice thing is that seeing it's, Obviously, this hasn't completely adversely affected his swing if he's able to hit home runs. Obviously, it's spring training. The stats don't matter. But in Michael Saunders' cases, they kind of do, right? It's, I mean, the games played at bats are the most important stats for him. But the fact that he's hitting for power shows that there's still you know, the swing is still there. It's impressive. And, and again, it, in the outfield, I, it's in the outfield when he was playing last year for, what, nine games They saw we saw him for? Something like that. Yep, nine. Th there was all kinds of things wrong with what what he was doing. He was playing incredibly deep. He obviously couldn't couldn't close on any baseballs. He didn't look comfortable out there. And then, then we found out it was because he was in a lot of pain. Um, we haven't seen that in the couple of games we've seen in the spring this year. He seems to be playing it like a, a normal, healthy outfielder, which I guess is the other thing, because that's where the wear and tear is going to come, right? Game after game on the on the less than perfect knee. Yeah, it's definitely going to be something to watch as we approach the end of spring training, but it's still a good sign for now. Um, is that all we want to say about Mr. Saunders? Yeah, I think that covers it for the first week of spring training. <laughs> we'll get back to him later. Of um, course, he's probably like, yes, first week of spring training, made it. <laughs> it's, it's a big milestone in a Blue Jay uniform. Um, actually, there was one other thing. They they mentioned again he would have been devastated to have been traded to the Angels. Um, I I don't you know from a baseball standpoint I'm kind of neutral on that whole trade. It was a weird thing to come up with, but I I would have felt bad for Michael Saunders the person. Um, I remember his... last year we were talking to I think it was Gregor Chisholm, and he was or, or it might have been actually Jamie Campbell. One one of the two of them was like yeah talking to Saunders and he was so legitimately excited to be a Blue Jay and then he didn't play. So if he'd gotten <laughs> traded without playing again. Oh man, that would, it's like that's a sad chapter in a book. Anywhere it's like, oh, 
You get nine games as a Blue Jay. I hope they were... No, they weren't even great. They were kind of crappy. You were in pain the whole time. Congratulations. Um, so, uh, another shot for him to be a, a Blue Jay that we remember, not like we remember, say, Mike Napoli, the Blue Jay. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Are changes in a player swing uh, important enough to write entire uh, treatises on? I think it's worth mentioning when it happens. But... So obviously, I'm talking about Troy Tulowitzki. Yeah, with his new leg kick, which seems to be all the rage. I think even Darwin Barney was throwing a leg kick in there. <laughs> well, it's working for but... Darwin. <laughs> well, yeah, Darwin Barney's the greatest player of all time. Didn't you know that? Yes. That ground but... ball that went through his legs, though. Ooh. <laughs> it's funny. We're talking about Darwin Barney hitting and being bad at fielding. <laughs> bizarro podcast uh, um but just in general i mean it's worth noting that when it happens but after that it's not really worth talking about until you see it actually doing something i mean he hit a home run but he's hit lots of home runs with his old swing too so let's that, actually see how it works out for him before really going oh my god Tulowitzki swing yeah well my my concern with with people getting really excited about that is um it's not the jose bautista or the Josh Donaldson transformation. If, if you look at Jose Bautista before he got his leg kick uh, and started early, he, he had some power and wasn't a very good player. If you look at Josh Donaldson before he got demoted the first time, which is when he went and looked at how he was going to reshape his swing and got with Bobby Tewksbury and, and things like that, uh, he's a guy who struck out over 30% of his at-bats. I think 37% in 2011. Um, these are guys who needed to change something or they weren't going to yeah. stick around. I don't think Troy Tulowitzki needs to. If he wants to, fine. I'm not going to tell him how to hit, but he's already established that he knows what he's doing. <laughs> he's an elite player. It's okay. Um, we, we don't uh, We don't need to spend a lot of time on that. It's nice that everybody hits with a light kick, I guess. <laughs> it's just a fun little thing. But yeah, it's it's not worth constantly harping on, which apparently we're doing right now. So we're just contributing to, to the disease. We're harping on the people who are harping on it. I think. I don't know if that's we're harping harpies. <laughs> that's it. New name for the podcast: Artificial Turf Force is out. That was it. One episode of Artificial Turf Force. Boom, <laughs> gone. We are leg kick city and the harping harpies. Um, Sounds like a band. I like it. I'm going to trademark it. <laughs> you get on that. So the last person we're going to talk about is David Ardsma. Um, he pitched an inning on Saturday. He had a, a couple of ground balls, looked pretty sharp, and then he got taken deep. <sighs> well, that happens to the best of us. Um, happened to Marcus Stroman, right? It did. We were so excited to see what David Ardsma was going to do on the mound because we were lucky enough to have him come and, uh, and talk with us via Skype. Uh, for an interview on Friday. So, we're going to go to that interview right now, and we're going to get uh, David Ardsman's take on everything from pitching in the big leagues to uh, trying to get favorites on Twitter. We'll be right with, back with him after this. And we are pleased now to be joined by Major League pitcher David Ardsma. Uh, David, welcome to the show. No, thank you for having me on. So we find you in spring training in Florida. Yes, I'm uh, sitting in my uh, house right now down in uh, Dunedin. 
Very nice. So, did you ever think you would find yourself playing for the Toronto Blue Jays? You know what? I did because uh, back when I was uh, nine years old, I was playing for the Blue Jays. So I always knew uh, I'd have no problem being a Blue Jay. I knew I was, you know, I was just Blue Jay material from there on out. No, I, uh, my Little League uh, for Little League majors in, in Southern California, we were the Blue Jays. And uh, so far I played three years on the Blue Jays. I had high socks, turtleneck, the same thing I wear now. Um, <laughs> uniforms, uniforms are slightly different, but I think on the throwback days, it might actually be exactly the same as what I wore, just probably a couple sizes larger. Perfect. Um, but uh, it's actually pretty cool. Kind of neat story is my mom um, sent a little letter to the Blue Jays back then. God, that was about probably, you know, 1990, you know, 1991. And um, they were so um, amazed that there was a Little League team in Southern California supporting the Blue Jays <laughs> that they actually sent us all major league, the majestic quality jackets. So nice. our entire Little League team had all major league approved major league jackets on and it was uh it was something really cool did you get like death glares from all the other teams like <laughs> just jealous rage well you know no, we were just kidding everybody they knew we were the best you know come on <laughs> no no it was just it was it was just one of those really neat things i i i mean who knows that when you're nine and ten man you don't notice anything like that who, who knows what the other parents were thinking but we were just we were just uh living the dream you know wearing the cool stuff you know Absolutely, absolutely. So this is sort of a homecoming in a tongue-in-cheek way. Uh, you have spent the last few years, though, going from organization to organization after your Tommy John surgery, um, looking for a job. What is that experience like? Because I don't, I don't think a lot of people with a you know a, a regular job, so to speak, go through anything like what you you have to go through. <laughs> um, well, it's, it's kind of funny. I've actually been going organization to organization pretty much my whole career. But the other times I was, I think I was good enough to get traded where somebody wanted me. Now I'm having to find jobs. Um, no, I, um, it's, it's funny. I actually get, I get a, a lot of times people just assume it was the Tommy John. Um, what gets looked over a lot is I had hip surgery. Um, and on my hip surgery rehab, a rehab assignment, I blew out my Tommy John. And so the Tommy John never was a, never an issue. It's a hundred percent always been back no matter what. Um, my hip is what actually kind of derailed my career to say, you know, you know, to, it changed my career a heck of a lot more than, than my arm did. Um, and the hip actually caused me to change a lot of uh, mechanical things and one being I was a very low, you know, low, lower body driven pitcher. I wasn't really all arm. I was a lot of legs and I stopped being as aggressive with my legs trying to, you know, come back from that, that injury. And so I started using my upper body a lot more and that's what caused me to blow out. And so it's taken me four years since, you know, the surgery 2011. So it's taken me essentially like about four years, three, four years to, to finally get back to the right place. And and going through a really cool program down in Louisiana, um, my my trainer now it's it's a guy named Brent Porcio who does TopVelocity.net. Retaught me how to use my legs, got me d down lower, got me a lot more physical, a lot more stronger, a lot more confident in my in my body, which just let it's letting my arm work for me. But so over the last you know three years. 
it's been a process of finding that. So in that process, though, I haven't had my best stuff. I haven't pitched the way I wanted to pitch because I wasn't the same person. Um, I think last year, you know, going from the Dodgers in spring training, I had a great, I had an excellent spring training. Um, you know, just I think I faced a lot of, you know, a lot of tough competition with the Dodgers and and kind of being on the outside looking in. I don't think they were. Um, I don't think there was a, they were expecting me to pitch as well as I did. And they actually told me so. Um, so <laughs> that's a good thing spring, or a bad thing. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, I kind of let them know that I, I mean, they should have expected it and that's why they signed me and that's what I expect out of myself. But, um, you know, that's their decision. I didn't make the team and, and, you know, pitch extremely well in triple a get, I was starting to get my stuff back, my really good stuff back. And, um, Ended up signing with the the Braves. The, the first day the Dodgers, you know, released me from that contract, signed with the Braves, went to the big leagues. And, you know, what was pretty cool was towards the end of the year in August, I was actually throwing my hardest I had in the entire season, which means I was getting stronger when guys are usually wearing out and getting weaker. Um, and I could really feel it. And I really started feeling my mechanics, my motion starting to get back. And then I remember calling my trainer Brent and telling him, Brent, I feel like I did when I was throwing, you know, 98, 99 with the Mariners when I was closing games, this is how I felt. And it was the first time in, you know, in six years, I truly had that a hundred percent feeling back. And so I'm, I'm pretty excited about where this road is going. And, and, and yeah, I've been with a lot of different teams and, and through that process, I've learned so much about myself that I'm, I know where it's going now. It's a matter of just putting it together and doing it. Well, certainly happy to hear that. So thank you for sharing that. I'm, I'm Sorry, wondering. Long, so long for, for a short question. <laughs> eh, it's all right. It makes it less work for us. <laughs> um, so knowing that, I mean, with the way you felt and with the way you performed, I mean, you had a really high strikeout rate with Atlanta. I think it was over 10 per nine. Um, what was it like trying to find a job again this off season? Um, this offseason is a little different, you know. So at the end of the year last year with the Braves, um, I had some bonuses set up in my contract, and uh, I could tell, you know, they ended up releasing me right before I was going to hit one of my bonuses. Um, it, it sucks, and unfortunately, it's part of the ball. It's part of baseball. It is what it is, and and um, and so being released that early, so being released right at September, not pitching for September, um, it, it made it a little tougher than I wanted to. Um, but at the same time, it's kind of, you know, being a, being a reliever, being a middle reliever, you sit back and, and you have to let the whole, all the cards fall, all see all how everything goes through the whole off season. Cause you know, every team's going to go for starting pitchers and, and corner outfielders, middle infielders, you know, the big guys, the big name guys first. And then at the end of spring, then the, at the end of the off season, then they deal with middle relievers. They, they fill out 24 and 25 on the roster. So I knew it was going to be late, um, and it was really kind of odd because basically the same day we get, we started getting phone calls. We got about three phone calls from teams the same exact day. Um, you know, we were waiting, 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 and then all of a sudden a whole bunch of calls started coming at the same time. Um, they just couldn't reach you somehow. Yeah, it, you know, somehow somebody let it out that I got one, and so they all decided to call. No, it was it was really weird. I, I, they all started calling, and, and then you know we. 
started discussing with the with the Blue Jays and got some more phone calls. But uh, you know, the Blue Jays seemed really interested. Gave me a great offer. Gave a great opportunity. And uh, I'm man, I'm excited to be here. So we were looking at at that Blue Jays bullpen, and obviously um, there's a lot going on there with bringing in Drew Storen. Um, and there's a, a whole bunch of guys always looking for those six and seven slots, um, knowing that, the, you know, there's only so many people that are going to carry an opening day. Before I ask you about your role, I'd like to ask you, you've been a closer, um, and you have, you see now there's an incumbent with the youngest player in baseball last year, Osuna, and then Storin, who has a, a closer's pedigree from the Nationals, which... Like when you look at that, how how do guys deal with that, knowing that one guy's going to lose and going to win, and, and they still have to work with one another for the rest of the year? You know what? It's um, it's surprisingly uh, cordial. <laughs> um, uh, it, it's always kind of blown my mind when you're walking into camp and and your your locker's right next to the guy you're competing with. You know, They're, that guy's either going to take money out of your pocket, or you're going to take money out of his pocket. His kids are going to be sad, or your kids are going to be sad. Um. You know, his wife's going to be pissed or your wife's going to be pissed. Um, <laughs> but you always tend to become the closest of teammates. Um, the, the the guys that I know I'm directly competing with, we're probably the closest guys that I have on the team right now. Um, and I think it's a, a thing that you're going through the same thing. And so for, you know, for Drew and for Osuna, they're both competing. And, and uh, but you got, what you got to... You got to look at it this way is no matter what happens, you still have, you just do your job. And if you worry about the process and not the results, if you worry about preparing every single day and being the best pitcher you can possibly be, and then let, you know, um, Gibby, let, you know, let Pete, um, the pitching, Pete Walker, the pitching coach, let, you know, let, um, you know, all the guys make the decisions that are going to make that decision because you got nothing to do with it, man. You're no matter what you do, you're not making the decision than they are. So whether you're the closer or not, you have to be ready day one to pitch. Um, and you know what? I mean, you've seen it. How many guys get hurt? How many guys pitch themselves out of a job for some freak reason? They need you instead of him. You know, in 2009, I was the setup man to Brandon Morrow. Two weeks, you know, three weeks into the season, I'm closing and he's a starter. You know, like you never know what's going to happen. And you just you have to prepare just to pitch and then let the chips fall. So, you know what? I know sooner, man, he, I've seen him throwing. He seems like he's got some great stuff. Um, Drew, I know I've seen him pitch, man, and I know he, he can get the job done. So whoever walks out of there, I know we're in great shape because I know we got unbelievable eight, nine, no matter what. So uh, I'm excited just to see those guys, you know, just see what they can do just on the field, regardless of their role. Your, your answer there was actually, uh, we didn't ask him specifically about closer roles, but very similar to when we spoke to Bo Schultz a couple weeks ago. And he, like you, has had a sort of non-traditional route to where he is now. I'm wondering if you would have looked at it the same way when you were younger. Like when you first came up, I think you were 22 with the Giants. Did you have that kind of outlook on things? You know what? <laughs> um, God, uh, I would hope so. I, I, <laughs> you know, I was always a guy that was never the best. I was always, I always felt like I was under, um, 
I don't know what the right word is, underappreciated or overlooked. Um, I always felt like I was better than what I was, than what other people would perceive me. Um, you know, when Baseball America came out with their top prospects, I was never one of the top guys. When Perfect Game did all their little listings when I was in high school, I was never one of the top guys. But I felt like uh, day in, day out, I was competing with those, with the very best of the best and, and beating them. Um, so when I was younger and, you know, and I was always fighting for jobs, always kind of being overlooked. I remember, God, this is kind of crazy. Just remember this. And when I signed in 2003 during the press conference and I was sitting next to our pitching coordinator, Dick Tidrow, and we are doing a little press conference. And one of the reporters actually asked, can they said, you're, you're telling, he goes, you're telling us we're supposed to believe that this, this guy right here throws upper nineties. <laughs> and he goes he goes he's he's you know he's skinny he doesn't look like any he could possibly throw that hard and i just sat there shocked and he looked at me and and he looked at the reporter he goes yeah he goes and just wait to see and that was one of the cooler moments because it was like even when after i got signed i was being overlooked by the reporter that was supposed to be you know at that moment, <laughs> that's supposed to be like all like good questions and like yeah, the first round pick yeah, and you know, and I'm getting kind of overlooked at the press conference, but um, <laughs> you know, uh, so I've always had that attitude of you know, and, and also one of the trainers when my very first spring training. So I broke camp, very first spring training with it that I've ever had. Uh, you know, I made the big league team, but the very first day I walked into spring training, the double A trainer came up, shook my hand, and said, David, you know, welcome to the Giants. Um, he goes, I'm your, I'm the trainer in double A. I'll have you, I'll have you in double A this year. And I, and I'm like, excuse me, <laughs> you know, I would never say it, but I'm like, come on, man. Like, give me a shot here. And, and no one believed that I can make that team. And I walked out and made that team. So I always had the attitude. I always, I had a little chip on my shoulder of wanting to prove myself. I always wanted to work harder than the guy next to me. Um, end of the day, go to bed knowing I was the hardest working person on that team and um and then wherever the chips fall the chips fall and I, I think i did have that attitude so I, i'm going to change gears here a little bit because attitude i think plays into sort of what i'm going to talk about i don't like to talk about myself at great length during interviews so i'll keep this as quick as possible um <laughs> you and i a long time ago i was um talking on on twitter and something came up with a friend of mine in a conversation and we were talking about the Zimmermans and that there were too many Zimmermans on one team on the nationals. <laughs> and you jumped into the conversation. I, I believe we'd mentioned Ardsma. I don't know how you found it, but you jumped in and you said, basically I'm doing everything I can guys <laughs> as being at the other end of the alphabet. <laughs> we both thought that was hilarious and very, very cool. Um, that, you know, a major league player would take the time to make a joke or, or interact with a fan in just, in, you know, a harmless way. There's a lot of pressure, I think, to be on social media and to have your personality out there. Do you feel that there is, you know, good and bad there? Or, or what do you like about being on Twitter? Because you are still active on Twitter fairly frequently. <laughs> I try to be, and I feel like sometimes I have some gems and they get unnoticed. And sometimes I just have some normal little comments and they get like really blown up. Um, <laughs> sometimes I don't, you hate it when you just come up with something gold and then it gets like two retweets and five likes. And you're like, Oh, come on people. <laughs> this is, 
this is pure gold right here. Um, but um, no, you know what? I, I find it um, a hard line, obviously, from my standpoint, and I think this is a lot of players in baseball do a good job of this, of not overstepping our boundaries too much. And, and it's hard because you want your personality. You want people to know who you are, what you're thinking, what you're feeling. But I don't want, you know, you don't want people to know what you're, what you're thinking a lot of the time. <laughs> well, we watched, um, we watched two players, J.P. Aaron Sibia and Brandon Morrow, who had been battery mates, have a conversation that had a political bent to it and had a, you know, it, uh, they went at one another, you know, one way or another. And it was, okay, these guys literally don't respect one another on this topic at all. Should they be having this conversation on Twitter? And I don't know what the answer was to that. <laughs> It's it's a it's a hard format, man, because it, it's something that that's so cool and so interactive, but at the same time can be just so abused. And with the with the Mets, man, we had somebody, uh, God, go to jail because of the comments he was leaving us. And I mean, it took him wow. making comments to the owners, but um, after all the, the entire twenty five man roster already uh, blocked them once he started talking <laughs> to the owner, then he it's goes, "It's gonna be a record." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, all the players, uh, whatever. But he said something to the to Wilpon. He's going to jail. Wow. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, man, it's it's crazy. But uh, but you know, so it, it's cool. But I think what you have to do is you have to have a sense of humor, man. I've 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 been good. I've been really crappy. I've been right in between. You know, I was a prospect. I'm a, I was a suspect. I, you know, I'm now I'm over the hill. You know what? And, and I feel, but I feel like I'm, res, I'm a, a resurgence point. So it's, you can't let their, let those comments, you know, um, you know, really eat at you. What I've always found is if you have fun with people on, on Twitter and just, you know, just see the light in some things, you, you know what? I, White Sox fans hate me for some reason. Um, and so <laughs> I, always get, I always get bad comments from White Sox fans all the time. I see it. All the time, but it's a, uh, you know, you just try to have some fun with it. And, and and if you can't make them smile, make someone else smile and become a fan of yours. You know, like, you know what? And maybe they might not hate you as much. And you, you But I think I've turned that around. I think with a lot of people that have, that in the past had talked crap to me, uh, they ended up some, become, some of them becoming my most loyal followers. Um you know, and it, so it's kind of cool. You just have to have a sense of humor with it, understand what the media, the platform is, and it's about being interactive and showing people who you are. Don't take it. Don't let people take advantage of you, but also uh, take advantage of what what it is. So, um, on that note, uh, I usually let people who we are interviewing for a book or whatever um, pump out their Twitter name at the end of an interview. So I'm actually going to pump out yours for you, which is at the da53. Correct. Yes, at the DA fifty three, I've got it on Twitter and Instagram, and then and our players association are, is pushing uh, place a new, heard a new media social media thing. They need called, to push harder. <laughs> yeah, I think it's like brand new, man. They were walking through the clubhouse yesterday. Just that was the first time I'd ever heard of it. And they got something called infield chatter, which is supposed to be all baseball players. Wow. Um, I mean, it looks like it's a ton of ball players on here, man. So I haven't really figured it out yet, but it looks kind of cool. But I'm DA53 on there. So, yeah, Sounds I'm trying excellent. to figure this whole thing out, man. There's too many social media stuff. I can't do Snapchat. I just don't trust it. I don't <laughs> trust it. I, 
Man, like it just I feel like Snapchat for somebody who's an adult who's in a relationship is just putting it just like asking for trouble. Um, not that I would do something. It's just that you're. It just seems like it'd be too easy to people get, get stuff to you that you don't need to be seeing. And I just don't. I don't know what it is about it. I just don't trust it. So don't look for David on Snapchat. Look for him everywhere yeah. else. And look for him, hopefully, in a Major League Blue Jay uniform this year, just like when you were, uh, you say, 9 or 10 years old? Yeah, 9, nine through 12, I want to say it was. All right, David on Throwback Thursdays. Thank you so much for joining <laughs> us. No, thank you. Sorry all my answers are really long, but I, I appreciate it. I had fun with it. All right, have a good night. You too. And we are back after a most excellent chat with David Ardsma. That was uh, very forthcoming, very enlightening, a lot of fun. Yeah, it really was. I love when the guys are just sort of, you know, give you the cliche answers. I mean, he certainly didn't. He talked for a long time, but it was, it's like, oh, that's interesting. And that's interesting, too. <laughs> and unlike some other folks, he actually stuck around for five minutes afterwards and kept talking to us, which was pretty awesome. So uh, we brought in uh, some backup here for the post-interview part of the podcast. Chris Sherwin, welcome to Artificial Turf Wars. Thanks for having me, guys. I don't normally drop the name of the podcast more than once, but I feel I should keep it's reminding special. people that this is a special inaugural episode. So we had to have you on for the inaugural episode. <laughs> Silence. No, his enthusiasm <laughs> perhaps is lower than ours. <laughs> so... Anthony Ghost had an interview this week, and he is the subject of our do-over. Um, they asked Just Anthony to explain the do-over yes. to the new listeners. Uh, the do-over is our opportunity for a person in uh, the baseball media sphere somewhere to take whatever they have said or done that was inadvisable, and and we give them this one opportunity to uh, come on, contact the show, admit they were wrong, wipe the slate clean, and we'll never mention it again. Um, I uh, I myself have been approached about a do-over, I believe, um, but I don't think anyone anyone's actually contacted us after we've done one of these segments. But we're going to try again with Anthony Ghost. <clears throat> Clear enough, Anthony Ghost was asked about defensive metrics, which are a little bit unkind to him if you're looking at, uh, let's see, UZR and defensive runs save. Um... His response was, I feel I'm one of the better center fielders in the game. I could care less what some analytics thing says. Some guy putting numbers into a computer. Things are a lot different out there playing than some guy sitting behind a computer. I think it's a big scam. And then he was asked about the scam and and scouting reports. And one of his other comments was, uh, I think scouting reports have been done since the beginning of time. I don't think that's anything new. I think that's a whole different ball game." I think it's a big scam. It's a way to make money. <laughs> that the last bit's the best part. <laughs> Analytics are a way to make money? <laughs> For who? I, I that was just... Uh, yeah, I don't know who. Well, I mean, I mean, baseball websites, obviously, make a lot of money off of employing tons of people to try and figure out stuff. Every major league baseball team 
around the league has bought into analytics over the last decade. I'm, I'm sure it's just some huge scam against Anthony Coase. <laughs> well, no, they're clearly buying into analytics because it's, they want to make money, not because they want to be better baseball teams. <laughs> but, uh, but, okay. It's worth noting that uh, fielding runs above average, which is baseball's prospectus's fielding stat, actually does think that Ghost was slightly above average, but still not good. Not anywhere close to the best center fielders in the game last year. Scam. What a scam. <laughs> uh, it's his insistence on the use of the word scam that I'm actually a big fan of there. That, you know, it's not consistent. Yeah, it's not that it's a mistake or it's not that it's inaccurate. It's actually a scam. It's intentionally misleading. Um, so, Chris, would you like to uh, do the do over for Mr. Ghost? Yes, Mr. Ghost, if you were listening and I know you are, please come on the show. And this time, do what you should have done and just kept your mouth shut. <laughs> we will ask the proper questions. <laughs> and and, and uh, let's not claim scams or whatnot because, my goodness, just give the typical athlete <laughs> response. This, like, come on now. I, I, I'm still speechless over this. What's well, funny think... is I just praised Arzma for not giving the typical athlete response. <laughs> part out of all these things when, whenever an athlete gives this ridiculous response like can't can't we have a happy medium where it's not the typical you know bull durham response it's something realistic but not just completely out of left field like a scam like come on uh <laughs> yeah i i think anytime you get into conspiracy theories you'd rather have the canned response oh estimation we have, uh, as usual, made a request for questions from our faithful listeners, and as usual, they have come through for us. Um, I will take the honor of asking the first question. Joe Biagini has looked good so far in spring training. Small sample size, but what are his chances to make the team? I'm going to confess, I have not seen Joe Biagini in spring training. Have either of you seen him? I, I have not. No, because... No. They've played like five spring training games. <laughs> I so mean, how, how good can to, you look? Exactly. That, that's the point. It's like, congratulations. You have looked good in your like two games. <laughs> well, that's more than Michael Saunders got last year. So um, I'm going to put his chances at slightly above zero. Is that fair? Well, I mean, just the fact that he's a rule five pick means that they're slightly above zero. But... I with all of the moves that the Jays have made, I think they're not very good. Especially if Rafael Soriano is healthy, I don't think Biagini is going to make the team. Fair enough. Next question. All right, Chris, you can take this one. This is from Philip Reger. Reger, I don't know. Reger. At Frantic Phil. <laughs> Frantic spelled with a PH, so maybe he's a Philly. Why not have Josh Donaldson lead off and then Tulo Bautista and Carnacion in any order? It, why not? Hey, give it a shot. Like, really, I mean, put your best hitters at the top of the lineup and just have at it. I'd be okay with this. I really would. I mean, I I probably wouldn't choose him first out of anybody, but if you're just going to toss it out there, I wouldn't complain. Um, I just, uh, I did see on Twitter something funny. Um, they asked why Tulo let off in the Saturday game and his uh, John Gibbons' response was, well, I wanted to get him an extra at bat as quick as possible. 
And I saw yeah, another no. res- response on Twitter like, uh, it works that way in the regular season too there, Gibby. <laughs> so you know. <laughs> I know. It's like, no, nah, no, we don't want Saunders or Pilar battling for the leadoff spot, which is apparently happening. How about best players getting the most at-bats? That's just a scam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chris, you got a question? Okay, from Ryan Conrad at... Daduke81, excellent Twitter handle. Uh, with Loop's forearm tightness and Cecil's calf, are you worried about the lack of lefty depth in the pen? Um, I'm going to take this one. Uh, Loop's forearm tightness is worrying in one sense, uh, unless you're Pat Venditti, which we mentioned earlier. <laughs> um, Cecil's calf does not worry me at all. I- I'm aware it was a serious injury last year, but we haven't heard a thing about it in camp other than it's supposed to be completely healed. So, yeah, um, yeah they said he went through a full rehab and that he's perfectly fine. So that's really only one guy to worry about. And, and the Blue Jays are, I wouldn't say covered in that area, but, but there is an answer in front of them for that area. The final question from Will at WB underscore two, two, two. What is the one surprise you could see from camp? That's an exact verbatim quote. Josh? Well, the one surprise you're going to see is one of these rookies that gets invited to big league camp is going to show up with his tent, with his marshmallows, (laughs) and then be confused that they're actually playing baseball. You know, that's going to be a big surprise for that guy. (laughs) Your crystal ball might need a polish or something. uh, It's supposed to be black, right? doesn't seem like the surprise that we were expecting but i guess it makes it a surprise (laughs) what do i know (laughs) yeah the one surprise is that this question is a surprising answer see i deliver on so many levels it's very deep it's very meta i want to say the word meta oh man are are you gentlemen ready for the game that uh is everyone's favorite to play and listen to oh yeah Bring okay. it. Yeah, let's so, do it. I got to defeat Josh here. <laughs> for our new listeners, uh, I am just going to briefly explain that Buck Martinez, God love him, um, has a penchant for calling <laughs> fly balls like home runs and home runs like fly balls. Um, his patented call, of course, is swing and a drive. Uh, though he doesn't say it every single time. He says it often enough that we're expecting it every time. Um so what we've done here is we've devised some some competition around clips of Buck Martinez. The, the first half is him announcing something, which could be a home run, could be a harmless fly ball, or it could be an extra base hit. Uh, we're going to play the first half of that clip just before he announces what it is, and we're going to have our two contestants, Chris and Josh, attempt to discern what's coming. We get a point for every right answer. Uh, and at the end, we total up the points. We declare one of them the winner, which, with one exception only, has been Josh every time we played. <laughs> and that one loss was kind of a cheat loss because I won and you added a two-point question at the end. <laughs> I had planned for the two-point question. <laughs> as a tiebreaker. <laughs> okay. Anyway, Josh always complains about losing because he doesn't do it very often. So uh, this is uh, our episode of Swing and a Drive. The only piece of information, gentlemen, as usual, you get is the name of the batter. So we will begin with Edwin Encarnacion. Pitching now into the eighth. 
There's a deep drive to left field, Ludwig. Hmm. It's a deep drive. So, mm. Josh, is that deep drive a uh, fly ball, a home I run? I think it's gone. Chris? I think it's gone. Both oh, of you think that drama. deep drive from Encarnacion is gone. Back at that track, this ball is gone. Oh! Edward Encarnacion, <laughs> his third home run. So, indeed, he is uh, out of there. All right. Number two, Jose Bautista. He had a rip at this one deep to center field. Ooh, he had a rip at it. <laughs> You're up, Chris. <laughs> I think run, that, uh, that's not hit? out. Fly out? That's, is it a fly out or an extra base hit? Oh, jeez. We'll go extra base hit. Go it's, extra an out. Base. it's an out. Let's listen carefully as Buck figures out what it is. I always feel that when he announces something is on the warning track, it's not really necessarily on the warning track. I've, no, I've he's just trying to make footage. himself better for saying I ripped it and it's like 20 feet from the fence. <laughs> I've watched the footage. Buck's warning track is a different area than my warning track. It's still colored green <laughs> in a lot of cases. You know, so, I still I have a disadvantage of this because I listen to the games on mute, okay? <laughs> or the other broadcast. There's, there's, how is that a disadvantage? <laughs> I know. Uh, because Josh like, listens to the think, broadcast. He's got all this memorized. Okay, oh, yes. But <laughs> listening to the broadcast hurts you because there's no consistency whatsoever. <laughs> In case you were listening, the Edwin Encarnacion home run was called worse. As if and it was Greg a has a theory about about warning tracks. See, he's got it all down <laughs> uh, Okay, here we go. We're going to go with... Uh, with Josh Donaldson. Don't even need a sign. There's a drive to left field. Oh, that was a drive to left field. That would be your guess, Josh. Home run. And no, yeah. extra base hit. <laughs> you can't, now you're just changing answers. Hey, yeah, I am. <laughs> extra base hit. I'm going with home run. Uh boy. It's, it's not going to be good for the scoring system. I quit. <laughs> White towel. I'm waving it. You're leaving it. Uh, hang on. I realize I have got uh, the next one twice in the same. There we are. So, Colby Rasmus. <gasps> you remember Rasmus. He hit a home run off Stroman yesterday. I thought I put him in here. Just see the ball and hit it. There's a high fly ball to the right near the pesky pole. Hmm. So that would be, uh, is that uh, Chris now? Chris is up. Yeah. I'm distracted by tablers. Just see it and hit it. This is why I listen to the games on mute. <laughs> Big strong That seems oxymoronic. <laughs> we'll go home run. Homer. Home run. Home run, bomb. Josh. It's Colby. It has to be a bomb. Oh, it's got the distance. It is a home run. Kobe It'd be funny if you threw a foul ball in there just to mess with us. Okay, that was that super home run in Boston. Uh, okay, I have one last. Now, Josh, this is basically do you run the table and go perfect on this one? <laughs> yeah. It's, but we'll, we'll have a go anyway. Screw it. I'm going to put it. All right, you start playing 
Has a base hit to right field. Okay, that was Mark Teixeira. What's your call? What? You just said <laughs> base hit to right field. <laughs> Home run. <laughs> Chris? No, it's going to be an out. He's going to get it completely wrong. I, I'm guessing an extra base hit, maybe? I don't know. I got it right. You did. You ran the table. I do not give Josh the answers beforehand. Wow. I I, hey, I was hoping I that... This is a base hit to right field, and then it gets caught. Yeah, listen yeah, to I, this I was hoping clip. that maybe it was, like, looping somewhere against the shift or something or other. I don't know. Base hit to right field. No fly ball, and Mel Base hit? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Did I say base hit? I meant base. Uh, no. I didn't mean base that. Base hit? No fly ball. Okay. Oh, fuck. Never change. I have a final No, actually recording. change a lot. <laughs> uh, just in case the, the competition aspect of this didn't work out um, or we didn't find any amusement, I have one that is clearly amusing. This is Buck Martinez with either marbles in his mouth, which are perpetually there, or... A couple of scotches uh, on, I believe, what was the last or second last game of the season, uh, trying to explain how pitching coaches work. Pitching coaches, they have wish lists. They have wish lists that, lists that <laughs> they want to accomplish and have their pitchers. <laughs> they have you wish know, lists wish lists. <laughs> hey, did I get any right? Did yes, I get you one? You got the first one. Uh, one. One, I believe. Oh, I got Colby, no, too. I got I have, two. I have two checklists. I, I have two check marks. Ugh, not wish lists. <laughs> Easy, Buck. <laughs> Five to two final score. You even got the base hit right. Ugh, oh, that just blows my mind. The last one. I was like, <laughs> you're going to think I screwed the clip up. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's how we play swing and a drive. And um, we're looking forward just to another Buck season. Martinez being inconsistent. You can, uh, you can get me on the Twitter directly if you catch Buck doing something. It seems suspicious. <laughs> At Coolhead2010. Send me a tweet. Give me the time in the inning. And uh, you may find a clip you recommended on a future edition of Swing and a Drive. Ah, okay. That was good times, as always. And I believe that is about to bring us to the end of the inaugural episode of Artificial Turf Wars. Do you have a final thought, gentlemen? Chris? Nope. <laughs> I thought I had something, but no. They don't call him the best in the league for nothing, <laughs> folks. <laughs> Monty, anything that, to add? That only leaves Josh. Uh, just, you know, spring training, we're, we're getting that thing where it's like, oh, right. All this depth that we have, it's really important because people never leave healthy. So... You know, we mentioned it before with Luke going down and Venditti stepping in, but this is just the amazing thing about what they've done this offseason. You know, there's backups at every single position. And that is the way you want to go into the season uh, is prepared. So here's to the prepared Toronto Blue Jays, and we hope that we make it through the entire spring before running out of prepared people. Without seeing Mike McCoy. <laughs> Like I said, there are no there are no miracle recoveries during spring training. It is a game of attrition, and then it continues through the regular season. Isn't that a happy thought, Chris? Love it. <laughs> Somebody should write about this. All right. I am Greg Wisniewski. Uh, you have been Chris Sherwin and Josh Housem, and our esteemed guest 
was David Ardsma of the Toronto Blue Jays. And this was episode number one of Artificial Turf Wars. We hope you had fun, and we'll see you later. You all you gave your own Twitter, not ours. Do you want me to leave that in at the end? (laughs) (laughs) Episode one, you (laughs) (laughs) 